Rodgers scramble left, got winds up, up right behind. He's got time in the 10 to the 5, yes. to the end zone. Welcome to a very special fantasy episode of the Woot and Why show, episode 132 for those that are keeping tabs on that kind of thing. <laughs> yes. Just one with a notepad and a pencil of 132. Oh, 132 is crossed off, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we've got a very special guest, Mr. Chris Harris, who we've had on, Was it was approximately 365 days ago. It was. The uh, We explained to Chris off air that the last time we spoke to him, about an hour later, we got a call from the guys over at Radio Hub, Silky and Bush, and they offered us the studio, and I think that was a turning point for us on the show, and how the podcast has gone upwards and onwards since then, and our sound quality has gotten better and our overall production value has increased. So, yeah, so um, essentially, we, we credited Chris for it. Yeah, he's our lucky charm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, his he, words were, I have he that He launched us onto bigger and better things. <laughs> yes, he was, uh, he was pretty proud. And uh, it's a really good chat with Chris. Uh, bear in mind that it was very early in the morning for Chris, very late in the night for us as we record now. But uh, very special fantasy episode for you. We'll also be back with another uh, fantasy special with Sigmund Bloom of Football Guys. And then we'll be back to normal trading to, to catch up on all the news going on in the NFL. There's been a lot the last three or four days. I, I just love how all the news piles on the first day of training camp. We could have filtered that over a week. We would have been we would have had yep. some content um, instead of talking about Pokemon Go and, and the Bachelorette for the last month. But um, <laughs> we managed to make do. Yeah, but so so listeners can't say that, you know, we're not doing all we can, pulling out all the stops to try to get, you know, high quality guests on the show. So Yeah, it's literally twelve AM and we've just spoken to Chris Harris of Harris Football, an award winning podcast, and here's our chat with Chris Harris. We just got him on the hotline bling. Call me on my cell phone. Late night when you need my love. And I know when that hotline bling. All right, joining us on the line is Christopher Harris. He's a six time fantasy sports writing association award winner. He's the host of the award winning Harris Football Podcast and a new podcast called The Juggernaut. His website is harrisfootball.com, and it's filled with fantasy content. And you can also follow him on Twitter, at harrisfootball. Welcome back to the show, Christopher Harris. It's great to uh, have you back on the show. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for asking me. How, how has your fantasy preparation been uh, in the lead-up to this season as, as opposed to other seasons? It's uh, been a bit of a funny month uh, this last month with, with the election and things going on over in the States. Yeah, fortunately, the election, I mean, it's driving me crazy, but it's not bothering my uh, my silly football prep. I mean, the the prep is, you know, so I worked for ESPN for eight years doing this, and the prep is um, sort of different this time because I used to write ESPN's magazine, you know, basically all those player profiles, yep. but I would have to do, I would have to do it in March and April because the magazine had to come out in June. That was just sort of what we were told the magazine the print magazine has to come out in June. Yeah. And, you know, we always thought that was dumb because you don't know anything yet. It leads to things being put in print that are, <laughs> you know, we, we already know by the time someone is buying the magazine is not correct. Exactly. So I didn't do that this year since I don't work for ESPN anymore. And uh, instead I did my version of that, like a, a big magazine that's that's a PDF, but I did it in, you know, June and July. Yep. So the prep has been more satisfying, to be honest, because I've gotten to watch a whole bunch of film this summer and not have to 
put it, you know, like I could put it actually into something that people will read and it will be timely. Yes, and that is the uh, 2016 Fantasy Football Player Profile Almanac. It's $15 on Harris Football and we will be we will be purchasing one. The show will be purchasing one because um, I'm excited about it. And you're going to constantly update it throughout throughout any news updates and things like that as well. Is that correct? Let's define constantly, but yes. yes. <laughs> Daily. Yes. We're just going to so work you into is, the ground. The plan is t- two updates, and so you'll actually be delivered this whole this, – this is a PDF that is 107 pages. It is serious. It's the, I wow. dare say it is the most it – it's the longest and most detailed player profile guide ever generated by man for fantasy football, no there question. Because the, the one that <laughs> – yeah, the one that I used to do for ESPN, well, of course, you're constrained by print you know, yep. capacity. You, can't, you don't want a magazine that's too long. So this, it doesn't matter. Um, and so the, the deal basically is if you buy – if you pre-order by August 1st, you'll actually get it three times. I'm going to just like edit the whole document. So you'll – and it will be obvious what's edited. So you'll get – you know, three different editions basically of this thing, like once sort of a couple of weeks in a training camp and then once, you know, maybe after the third exhibition game, something like that. Awesome. That's terrific. Chris, those that um, aren't familiar with you, it's widely known among those in the fantasy community and on Twitter that you're more of a film guy than a stats guy. So for those that um, don't know your work, uh, why do you prefer to rank players based on film than what the numbers are telling us? Because numbers in football are garbage. <laughs> I mean, not. not <laughs> I <you know>. love it. <laughs> that's that's an overstatement of the case. Of course, numbers have a place, but um, my theory in general is that future performance is not. You know, future stats are not dictated by past stats. It's future performance is dictated by past performance, and the reason is just small sample size. Like, you know, there are people who are just completely dedicated to numbers in football. In the way you know, they've built this industry around way that baseball you know america here baseball works where there are just so many more interactions in baseball that are so much simpler you know it's pitter pitcher batter and that's it and then uh a very limited number of interactions and a limited number of outcomes and in football you're talking so fewer actual statistical data points Mm. and then so much more variability where you know a a four-yard run can look like five different things and therefore you know yards per carry winds up being this frankenstein's amalgamation of all of these different factors and all of the different different kinds of runs i mean you can't watch melvin gordon last year and tell me he's terrible because his yards per carry was low you know, this is a dude who was evading people in the backfield. He made people miss constantly and, you know, of course, wound up making three yards when he should have made one or zero and yards per carry just isn't going to capture that. I have a stat from the Almanac about Mark Ingram. Mm-hmm. So Mark Mark Ingram, his yards per carry last year wound up being 4.6. Yep. And the people who people who only look at stats are like, wow, Mark Ingram got a lot better. Good job, Mark Ingram. Like we can start <laughs> looking at this guy as a real as a you know as a real sort of uh, player that we like because we like four point six. Mm-hmm. And having you know having gone back and looked at it, Mark Ingram coming into the year had zero runs over forty yards in his career. Last year he had two runs over seventy yards. Wow, <laughs> it's not it's not intellectually honest. No. To say, let's take those two runs away. And yet, I think moving forward, if you're going to be counting on 70 yard plays from Mark Ingram based on his history, I think you would say you'd be disappointed. Yeah. If I took away those two 70 yard runs, his yards per carry last year, 3.9. There you go. 
I think I remember having this conversation with you when we talked about Joyke Bell last year about how people used his low yards per carry average as a knock against him, but we mentioned that you know he was used on short yardage, and if he needed one yard and got 1.1 yard, then it didn't really matter right. because he got that one yard. Exactly. Right, and of course, Joyke Bell wound up not being the greatest example. No. But, <laughs> I, but then, then again, I think it's still that is still yep. a reason to actually watch the games as a, because you know if you if you only look at what the Lions did on paper last year you'd say every single running back they have is terrible <laughs> and yet you watch the games and you realize what well, there was nowhere to run nobody you know Barry Sanders wouldn't have had a good year last year with that offensive line oh, like that's why they based it up yeah well so the upshot is you know of course I, I don't even know how this became a thing like the Sharks and the Jets like film and stats it's like you know, the reason that sabermetrics is a thing in baseball is because nobody can humanly watch every pitch of every game. It's not possible. Yeah. There, You can in football, so I do. And I know everybody else can't. You know, people in their general lives can't just sit down. And watch. But it takes a day, right, to watch a week's worth of football. And that's what you'd want to do. I mean, I think the stats people would say, like, the best of all possible worlds, I'd like to lay eyes on everything rather than have to rely on just, you know, like – you know, stats stats heads here in football are essentially trying to kind of develop a profile of a person based on a bunch of you know based on a bunch of numbers. Yep. And all I have to do is like watch the person, so I can develop the profile that way. I, I don't know how it's even a oh, stats are a good supplement. Stats are a good way. What, the way I use stats is I, I'll look at them and go hmm, and it'll be a way to sort of a way into watching them play and say let me let me evaluate that you know and decide whether i think that number reflects reality you know but reality is the thing i care about yeah and if the almanac's full of insights like the mark ingram one uh, it's worth every penny yes exactly <laughs> it is indeed yeah all right well talking about the tape is there a player that you've watched on tape over the summer that um you know his film has changed your original opinion on him such a hard question because it's uh, I, you know, I'm trying to remember everyone. Uh, <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> oh, it's fine. So, I mean, we've had this big thing about Jeremy Langford. Like, how has Jeremy Langford turned into this? Oh, I'm so tired of talking about Jeremy Langford. But, <laughs> uh, but he's someone who I was sent back to the tape again, even after having watched him the first time, because I went on some other podcasts and had some folks on my show saying wow, everybody hates Jeremy Langford this year. And I remember thinking, that's the weird guy to decide that's the guy you hate. Um, so I went back and watched again. And literally, I was on a show where they all they wanted to talk about was my take on Mark, on uh, Jeremy Langford. So I literally watched it all again, I think on, I can't remember, Thursday night of last week. And, uh, you know, with, with NFL Game Pass, here I am not being paid to endorse NFL Game Pass, but it's an unbelievable tool to just Absolutely. say, okay, show me all, show me all of Jeremy Langford's plays. And, you know, within a half an hour, you've seen them all. Um, And so people want to talk about, I guess, low yards per carry and other numbers that I can't even, I can't even. Um, And, (laughs) and my, you know, uh, so one thing, you know, people say a lot of drops, depending on the stat service that you, you subscribe to, he either had seven drops or four drops. Seven's a lot worse than four, but you know, yeah, that's why drops, you got to watch out for that stat because different stats are is considered drops on different things but um you know the 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 assumption has been from the stats people worst pass catching running back in the league and having watched him play again not at all like he had definitely had some high profile national tv game concentration lapses you know ball hits him in the chest he drops it but he made plays uh in the passing game that i i referred to one 
against the Chargers in a Sunday night game where he's sort of running a fly basically against Eric Weddle, really good free safety for San Diego, now for Baltimore. And, uh, you know, it's lofted up there and he makes a wide receiver catch. He dives and, you know, basically lays completely horizontal to the ground and catches the ball. And it's like, I mean, if you, you know, if you want to look at the numbers, the numbers aren't going to account for that. And that sort of play is going to be a reason they're going to keep throwing it to him because, you know, he momentarily was a wide receiver at Michigan State. Like he came into the league with a pedigree for being able to catch. And on film, I see, you know, wow, flash plays that a lot of running backs can't make. And for me, that therefore, you know, th- that tape really was an eye opener to just say, yeah, I, I'm going to stick to my guns and say – so I'm not sure it changed my opinion, but it definitely reinforced the idea that – you're missing something if you're only looking at the numbers on Langford. Yep. Well, that's all we had time for because all we had was Jeremy Langford questions <laughs> for the rest of the show. So now we're up uh, shit creek without a paddle and uh, we're in big trouble here. But no, no, I've got it. I've got other you questions. You can quote me. You can quote me. I can't even. <laughs> I can't even. There you go. We I'm might. So, we so might use American. That as- <laughs> we might use that as the title of the show. I can't even with Chris Harris. Yeah. Um, I think that's. I think we've got that down pat now. Um, all right. So. There's been a lot of talk about strategy uh, this this off season. That I've noticed more is because of the rise of, of of particular strategies like zero running back and zero wide receiver. Is there a particular strategy that you tend to to use this year with regards to redraft leagues, or, or do you have any thoughts on those two uh, of strategies that are being floated around by the fantasy community? Yeah, I just feel like a lot of people are trying to get a lot of headlines with a lot of flashy nonsense. Um, you know, you want to draft players, not positions. And it's, you know, it's perfectly fine for a rational fantasy drafter to assemble their draft board. And, you know, everyone should have a draft board. Everyone should have a list, right? This is the order. This is the order I like players. I'm going to think about this a lot. I'm going to listen to all these podcasts. I'm going to, you know, read, read an almanac or whatever else. And I'm, and, and I'm going to take it all in and I'm going to come up with my own list. And, you know, maybe, maybe you don't want to make your own own list, but you'll have a list, right? And maybe it's my list. It's your list. It's someone's list, right? That list should reflect what you think of individual players. I would never want to assemble a draft list that, you know, where the first running back is listed 30th, Mm. which is what zero RB seems to want us to do or the other way around zero wide receiver. Like it's perfectly rational and fine to make your list and say, you know what? This generation of running backs, the, the really good ones are all sort of aging out of where I trust them and the young guys, I don't necessarily trust them yet. So, I am going to elevate a few of these wide receivers I like ahead of some running backs that other people might like. Perfectly mm-hmm. rational. Perfectly yep. rational. But you're looking at specific players. You're saying, Des Bryant, yeah, I just feel better about Des Bryant than I do Adrian Peterson, so he's going higher on my list. I would never want to say, you know, generic receiver number 10, I'm putting him above no matter what, any running back. Because in the first round, no matter what, my zero RB strategy says take a wide receiver. Like, I just when you're when you start ignoring players, the actual specific who they are, you're lost. You know, you're you're you know, you have, you have a smaller margin for error. I mean, anybody yep. can win. I you know, and, and I will say this, it depends on your league. I mean, if you're in a league where it's a 10 team league and five other people don't pay attention, zero RB works great <laughs> because, you, you, you know, there are 30, <laughs> 30 backs to pick up on the waiver wire and cover up for any mistakes you made when you took your first running back in the fourth round. Yep. So. My overall advice is think about players and not positions. It's just so simplistic to say, nope, don't take a running back or nope, don't take a wide receiver. Like, no, it depends on the player. I, I agree. 
I absolutely agree. Like, there's been some drafts where I've just had to because of the players have fallen on my board, and and you take those two wide receivers, and then you you uh, have to reevaluate the rest of your list when you swing back around uh, towards towards that next sort of three foot three four turn or anything like that. But I don't go into a draft purely just to draft a certain position. I think that's you're going to end up. Uh, you know, when you build a team, you need to get points across the board. If you're stacking them at one position, you're going to be weak across the board. That's right. I think it's a great point. And and like I said, if you're in a league where you've never had a problem getting wh- whatever you want off the waiver wire, well, then forget everything we're saying. But, you know, it's <laughs> Maybe not that fun of a league. Like, I would say, there you go. <laughs> Chris, last season I spent most of the um, you know preseason talking about how I thought Tyler Eifert could be something special, and then I... Managed um, to not have him in any of my teams, bar one, because he got drafted probably in the round before I was going to take him in every single one of my leagues, bar one. And then uh, the eventual champion of my league had him in his team. So in our main league, yeah. In, in our main league that we are together. I'm trying to find this year's Tyler Eifert. It's not as easy. Tight end this year seems to be... Um, I keep you know changing my rankings each and every week. Uh, who do you think is this year's Tyler Eifert? It's tough. I mean, you know, that, that's a sort of a historic. That's another thing. I can, I'm, I'm going to actually look it up in the in the almanac as we're talking. Um, <laughs> nice. You know, sort of a, a sort of a historic. I just have a good number for how re- relatively touchdown heavy Eifert was. You know, relative to the number of targets and and um, receptions. You know, he, he let's see touchdowns per reception. Um, what I don't even remember since 2000. I think he was the fourth highest. One quarter of his of his receptions were touchdowns. That's crazy. And yeah, that's tough to repeat. I, I in the in the in the almanac, I all, I tried to give what the ne- of these guys. Like we all remember Julius Thomas's great 2014 yep. with Peyton Manning with all the touchdowns. Almost like 28 percent of his receptions were touchdowns. The next year he had five. Dwayne Allen had that big year in 2014 for touchdowns. Then we know last year, next year one. Uh, you just so this is the Tyler Eifert case that that the touchdowns will regress, uh, and yet I still think if he had, if he wasn't hurt he would still be a, a, a fantasy starter. But the problem come this is a long way around of saying, wow, super intense touchdowns, tough to predict, tough for me to go. Oh, for sure, this guy's situation t- tight end wise is such that he's a candidate for whatever tw- you know twelve touchdowns or uh, in Eifert's case I like get was th- it was thirteen. You know, Julius Thomas strikes me as a potential repeat there. I'm not a huge believer that the Jags passing game is going to stay that big, but you luck out, you get in the red zone the way the Bengals kept doing last year. I think all of Eifert's touchdowns came from inside the 22-yard line. Yeah, It was like 11, yeah. 11 inside the 20, and the other two were from the 22. Um, so so I'll throw out Julius Thomas as a, at least it's his job. They certainly <laughs> threw last year. Like, I, you know, I could see things getting together, and he is a good player in the red zone, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm I'm sort of reluctant to say, oh, for sure, you know, 13 touchdowns for Julius Thomas. <laughs> no, that's that's fair enough. I'm, I am looking at a chart now that uh, when we had Jody Smith on last week, he did a big red zone study. Yeah, 15 targets for Eifert in the red zone, 12 receptions, and 11 of them were touchdowns. So that's an insane rate of <laughs> yeah. catches and then that two, were touchdowns. And then, too, like red zone always winds up being, you know, we use it. I use it, too. It's a little bit of an artificial stat because it, it's even worse than it sounds. Because, like I said, the other two touchdowns were from the 22. Yeah, that's nuts. Keenan Allen, a, a guy I'm very, very high on this year. I'm a big fan of Keenan Allen. He was on pace for 134 catches last year, obviously, before going down with a lacerated kidney. 
14th in PPR rankings for yourself and 13th in standard. Thoughts on him because there's some players that you have above him that I, me personally, I would, I'd rather take Keenan Allen over someone like, I think I saw Demarius Thomas just ahead of him. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is there, is it the Travis Benjamin factor uh, in San Diego or you just, uh, you're confident that, uh, you know, some of these other players will just fare better than, than Keenan Allen? I th- so I really like Keenan Allen too, um, and I'm always fascinated to hear how low I am on someone that I thought I liked. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> well, it's not necessarily um, low, but like in 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 say PPR scoring, like I would consider him, mm. you know, uh, quite high. Like I would even consider this may sound insane, but I I just trust Philip Rivers so much more that I'd rather maybe take a flyer on Keenan Allen over DeAndre Hopkins in PPR league. Yeah, well, certainly based on last year's rates, I wouldn't say it's so much the Travis Benjamin factor. You know, going back and watching the way they used Allen in that in the first half of the year, yep. uh, it was short stuff. You know, it was uh, – so what Keenan Allen has, at least in years one and three of his career, and in year two, I thought he still had it. They just kind of never threw him the ball, but uh, is polished. You know, he is just a, an incredibly polished player way beyond his years. Uh, the ability to – just his footwork as a receiver, you know – those of us who don't play and you know I played in high school but it's been a million years so like you know it's <laughs> I you know we don't I don't play either we don't appreciate the extent to which receivers footwork has to be predetermined like every route if you're a good receiver you know you you know exactly how many steps you're taking to get to the point you need to get to to land on the correct foot so that you then cut off of the correct foot and fool the defender and run in the, you know, that, that stuff is all just highly technical. And there are many receivers who are just such great athletes that they don't need to do that. But Keenan Allen's not one of them. He's not a deep threat and he's not like a super elite athlete, but what he has is that, is that ability to get open just by cutting and not by being the quickest guy, but just by, you know, what we, you know, the, every step, kind of looks like every other step. So the defender can't really know when he's going to cut. Yep. And it's just, he, so he's a technician. So anyway, that's a bunch of film nonsense. I just no, gave I you. like hearing that. <laughs> I like hearing that. Uh, um, so like acrobatic catches, you know, down the seam or in the corner. Absolutely. But they have to be acrobatic when he goes deeper, you know, because he's not going to be three steps shy of everybody. Right. And so my, my sense of the charger offense yeah, at some point, I'm just making a, blind prediction here is that they they have to vary it up a little bit i mean they would throw it in a half you know seven times to keenan allen and it, it felt like the only thing that was working you know running game wasn't working I've, i dominated that one as the worst offensive line in the league so you know i my sense is things will get a little more varied i don't think anybody wants their main receiver catching the ball 134 times and so my my you know he's going to catch it 106 times and that's going to be way better for that offense he's still going to be really really good you're right, though. If he goes on that crazy receptions pace, no matter how far down they are, the uh, no matter how far down the field they are, uh, you're right. I've got him too low in a PPR. Big if, though, as you as you said, you don't want them. Ca- you know, 134 catches. That's why he winds up with an injury because they're <laughs> exactly. taking too many hits. Yeah, of course. The the actual injury is him stretching out. You know, doing the you know completely vertical to the ground Bonk. and catching a touchdown yep. at the end of the half. Then his internal organs all rupture. This <laughs> <laughs> craziness. I hate to bring up tight ends again, but uh, sure. Martellus Bennett, you've got him ranked as your eighth ranked um, tight end, and I hate to keep mentioning you as the film guy. But how do you, how do you see him being used in New England? You seem to be higher on Martellus Bennett than most other analysts that um, 
Mm. And I'm pleased at. about that because I've got him in a few leagues now and a few yeah. MFL 10s and seeing Chris high on him, I'm, I'm, quietly, yeah, I'm see, quietly confident. Because yeah, I was kind of looking, oh, I can take a flyer on Martellus Bennett, but if I was with you, <laughs> snap Be up. careful. Yeah. Well, you know, well, if you were with me, I'd be waiting. I'd get whoever I got in the 10th round. And if it's Bennett, that's great. And if it's not, all good. Yep. Uh, you know, in in most leagues, I'm who I have rated number four among tight ends for me doesn't matter because I'm not I'm never going to own that guy. You know, it's going to be whoever's left. But yep. uh, Bennett, you know, OK, so what I'll say about tight ends is, you know, you, you guys just said it completely better than I could have. You know, tight end is, just doesn't have kind of the obvious candidates and, and it feels like it hasn't for a while. It's kind of why I call um, tight end the new kicker. It's like, you know, from number, I don't know, six, number five, down to number like 20. You, you could convince me that any of them could be a fantasy starter. It seems like they're all destined for 650 yards and six touchdowns. And, you know, you None of that is going to be all that pleasing, but it's going to kind of give you a baseline of being like, yeah, that was okay. And I would say the reason I have Bennett in my top 10 is I think there's a chance he's better than that. Uh, you know, last year he was hurt and the production wasn't good. He soldiered through and uh, I'm not even going to really hold much against him of what happened. You know, what I've seen from him in the past is, you know, he's huge. He doesn't run like – Rob Gronkowski, you know, he's not this very, very agile guy for how big he is, but he runs pretty well. And dude, the guy can jump. You know, he's just one of those unbelievable. You know, Jimmy Graham probably is the only leaper at the tight end position that I've seen that's like Martellus Bennett. So he's a natural red zone guy, of course. So is Rob Gronkowski. The temptation is to go back to Gronk and Aaron Hernandez the year they went one and three at the position. It's probably never going to happen again, but. You know, I think back. I'm a Patriot fan, and I think back to how often the Patriots just begged Scott Chandler to be a factor in that offense last year, game <laughs> after game. And as a Patriot fan, you know, at some point after he had had another one carry him off his hands or ricochet off his face or whatever, <laughs> you know, at some point as a Pats fan, we were like, please stop throwing it to him. But it would just keep, you know, it would keep happening. And, uh, you know, th- I think Bennett has – I think the distinction of like what position people play in New England, nobody plays on the outside. You know, everybody they want to throw to is kind of just all around the middle of the field. You know, if it's the perimeter, it's usually the running back. And I think Bennett's just another weapon there. He's not Gronk. But I would take the shot and say like, OK, if it doesn't – if I'm wrong and it's just sort of working out to be meh, I'd cut him. That's, yeah, and that's an offense you'd rather sink with, I think, like – you have more chance than not if you take a you know Patriots tight end that you're you're gonna wind up with a with a chance of that of that upside taking someone like I don't know Gary Barnage or Austin Safarian Jenkins I I can't see them being a top three or four tight end whereas at least with Martellus Bennett you at least have the chance that that could happen yeah I mean we got so excited about Tim Wright. In 2014, <laughs> we got so excited about Chandler last year, right? Just because, just the just the whiff of Aaron Hernandez, his former production, you know, just this idea of, uh, okay, but Gronk will get his. We all know that, but there are a lot of targets. It's, it's the best short passing offense in the league, you know. There is the added factor of, of course, the first four weeks. Maybe it isn't the best short passing offense in the league because no Tom Brady. But uh, I still, I still feel as though it's a it's a reach that I'd be willing to make. But I think. You know, you're probably right that it, it probably is a little bit of a reach, but um, there, you know, I guess there are some players we all we all take a little bit of an extension on. Yeah, and hopefully because of those four weeks, he does slide, and we can we can nab him late. <laughs> you can get him at the right price. I do love Chris that you uh, mentioned like from five through to twenty. You know, could be and the cutoff just above 
A below 20 is Jared Cook. Poor, <laughs> poor Jared Cook. <laughs> he just can't seem to crack it into anything. <laughs> the Ravens offense is another... I call it a mess. I called it a mess to Jody Smith last week. It's it's one offense that I, I'm i just puzzled with at the moment. Um, they've got a lot of players. I'm not going to say stacked at a position, but they have a lot of players at skill positions, but there's no standout players at each of those positions, talent-wise, in my opinion. What's your approach to that offense, or are you just avoiding that or saying maybe Flacco is the person to get if you're you know a late-round quarterback guy? I don't like Flacco as a fantasy quarterback. I know he, you know, Flacco is a made guy because he won a Super Bowl and he went on that crazy playoff run. And, you know, in small sample sizes in the playoffs, he does have good numbers. Um, but in fantasy and regular season, he's a disaster. You know, he's I I really literally maybe have never seen a player vary from more from like quarter to quarter. It's not game to game. It's court. It's like it might even be play to play like, <laughs> you know, he can look so good and then he can literally just lose it. You know, the and be throwing it six feet over his receiver's head, yeah. and and throwing a billion interceptions, and I just think not not a good fantasy quarterback. You know, and um, so I'm not going to own him. Uh, you know, the player who's the most talented, the player who stands out the most on film is Steve Smith still. Yep. But the issue comes down to you know he's 36 or whatever, and coming off a torn Achilles, does he does he fix it up and get to where he was before he got hurt? Um. You know, people I've talked to have said that the Achilles surgery is just a way different beast than we remember it being even just a few years ago. It's it's not it's it's a non-invasive surgery or less. In, they have a much less. In, it, of course, it's invasive, but it's a much less invasive. Like they don't have to cut you open as much to fix it as they used to. Um, like in the Dan Marino days, you know, people remember Dan Marino's Achilles going and like him grabbing his calf in the 90s and, you know, flailing around the ground and and then having a scar three feet long on his foot, you know, whatever. Um, that, apparently that's not any, anymore. All of which is to say, listen, I don't know. I don't know how he'll bounce back. But before he was gone, and it's two years running where I've been wrong on him, but, uh, you know, he was awfully good before he got hurt last year. It was the only game in town. You know, they couldn't really find anybody else to throw it to, and he just kept making plays. That You know, the long speed is gone, but... He gets open and he's just still a ferocious dude. You know, do I have him really high? Do I have him as ranked as a, like a clear fantasy starter? No, but he's someone who I would take a chance on because if you hit, especially, you know, maybe for the first half of the season, uh, he could be really good. The, the running backs, it seems now there's three of them. It seemed last year there was three of them. We thought Talia Farrell would be something. And um, yeah, it's tough for me to get excited about Justin Forsett because it feels like they learned their lesson and they're not going to run him into the ground and they're going to try to rotate. Yeah, that that was my understanding of the running back position, and you mentioned Steve Smith, and I, I hope I hope you're right about him. I, I really I don't want to see the a decrepit Steve Smith on the field because you know when he's healthy, he's so fun to watch and he's so exciting, and his attitude. So I wish you could bottle yeah, I wish you could bottle that up. And Demarius Thomas would <laughs> love a pill from Steve Smith just to give him that <laughs> that beast like mode. Because a couple of times you watch Demarius Thomas, and I just wish he'd have an ounce of Steve Smith's DNA. In him yeah. and uh, and about Flacco, you couldn't be preaching to a better choir here about um, <laughs> Joe Flacco to us. So, um, a friend, a good friend of ours, is probably the biggest Joe Flacco fan on earth, and it just it just irritates us so much. It's constant. It yeah. is. So, uh, I'm gonna just cut that bit out that you said and just keep posting it to him every day. So, <laughs> we'll see how we go. Last year we spoke to you about Doug Martin and we called our episode "Biting the Doug Martin Apple," and we were all uh, we were all good. On that one, all our predictions, I ended up drafting him in our main league and helped me get to the semifinal. Didn't quite win it, but 
How do you see Doug Martin, Doug Martin faring this season? And then who's a running back that could, you know, could be a Doug Martin of last year, you know, a middle round running back that you could see, you know, rise up to that top tier and, and be, be someone that's a, a low end running back one or a high end running back two. I can answer the first question for sure. What I think of Doug Martin. Um, I wish I could guarantee you that I could just say, oh, yeah, and this guy who no one thinks is going to be good is going to be great. Um, I, but I'll do my best. But so for Martin, um, you know, the reason we were all willing to bite that apple was, uh, you know, I felt like and I, I think I probably said this on your show. You know, if I lined up the five most talented running backs in the league, if I lined up all the running backs in the league and picked the five most talented, Martin would be on that list. And, we, you know, I said that before last year and it was based on the rookie year. Uh but of course, he was had two years in a row completely crushed by injury, and it felt like, you know, it felt like you were living on borrowed time. And fortunately, last year really never got hurt. Uh, but I, you know, him ne- him not getting hurt led to us seeing what he has, and what he has is sort of I I liken him to young Ray Rice. You know, he's he's a shorter guy. But he's still 220 pounds, so he will definitely break an arm tackle. I mean, he, at the second and third levels, he breaks arm tackles all the time. He has really great, what you know, the cliche of burst, right? He decides he has to go, and he can get there really quick. Yep. Uh, and, and he's got terrific long speed for a player who's 220 pounds. So when he gets there, when he breaks that arm tackle, when he's able to make that one cut that fools a defender, he can actually be gone, you know, as opposed to someone, you know, I, I think Jonathan Stewart, who's a bigger player uh, and who's, you know, I have a lot higher than most people, um, is, you know, more like a 235 pound player. He has everything Doug Martin has in terms of burst, in terms of that w- ability to cut and fool a defender. He just doesn't have that long speed. You know, he's not the one who's going to break an 80-yard touchdown the way Doug Martin will. Yep. Um, so, like, I, I, you know, Martin's four on my running back list, which doesn't mean he's a first-round pick. It means in this year, it means he's more like a second to mid, you know, mid to low second. Um, you know, the guy I'll say is Jonathan Stewart. You know, I I know people worry about touchdowns uh, because Cam Newton, because Mike Tolbert, and it's a legit worry. You know, he did score seven touchdowns last year, though, and that remember he missed the last three games of the year. He did. It was on a historically great team and, it, you know, that team probably won't be undefeated in December again and, you know, maybe they'll score fewer touchdowns, etc. I just – I love Jonathan Stewart and I feel like the same complaints that we had about Doug Martin apply to Jonathan Stewart. The only real objection other than, you know, what if I lose short touchdowns and that doesn't scare me that much um, – but the real objection people have is a very valid objection, which is dude always gets hurt. I was riding him high last year, and then week 13, you know, week 14, he gets hurt, and boom, he's not in the fantasy playoffs. If you can get over that the way we got over it with Doug Martin, I think you're going to have something really good with Jonathan Stewart. Yeah, I had Stewart last year, and I was I was exactly the same with you. Was I was taking him a lot lower than where people thought because people just didn't want to didn't want to draft him. They just there was seemed to be a bad I don't know not smell, but there seemed to be a bad aura around him and. He fell to a level that was that was suitable for me to draft. And and speaking of that, someone like Le'Veon Bell, uh, given the recent findings, and we're still up in the air. We, we could be talking about four games right now, and then you know on next week, this time next week, it could be two games, it could be zero. Who knows? How do you approach Le'Veon Bell now with with four games missing from his uh, fantasy schedule? Well, I lowered him a lot. Um... And I'm, you know, there's a, there's a whiff of hypocrisy about what I'm going to say here because last year he got his suspension reduced to two games and I put him as my number one player in fantasy overall. So four games and he's down at number, I think, 
30 or something like that for me. He's number 11 running back. So obviously I had a tipping point of number of games missed, you know, between two and four where I go, okay, you know, I threw up my hands and said, that's enough, you know, (laughs) too many games. I assume everyone has that continuum of games missed, right? Where, all right, well, if you think I'm too low on four, uh, four games missed, how many would it take for you to lower them? Is it six? Is it eight? You know, like (laughs) it does seem like there has to be a point where everyone's willing to. So I hit my, I think I hit my, uh, my, critical spot um so with bell like the talent isn't in question he's an unbelievable player i think he's great if he were healthy and unsuspended he would be my number one player overall okay uh but you know he's first of all not healthy yep and second of all is suspended but you know the knee is an interesting issue and i think completely overlooked because we saw him a picture of him dunking a basketball and that was enough you know <laughs> yeah everyone I, just forgot about the injury when that when that was released we've seen enough he, videos of victor which, cruz as well but <laughs> That's right. I mean, should yeah, can we, can we, you know, I need a new whole, you know, I always talk about coach speak and how players, you know, don't listen to players. Now it has to be, don't watch anything on YouTube. Uh, (laughs) But so, you know, Bell, the torn PCL, I've had Will Carroll, I've had people who know this stuff, I don't know it, tell me that they're way more concerned about a torn PCL than a torn ACL given today's surgeries. That Way more people have a hard time bouncing back from a PCL really quickly. And even if they feel like they're okay, they get out there and the leg just doesn't have the same explosiveness and it ruins their game and changes the way they do things and leads to other muscle strains and whatever. I mean, it's not a torn, uh, it's not a torn, uh, Achilles, probably not as bad as a torn Achilles. And, uh, you know, it's not as bad as a torn patellar tendon. That's really kind of the worst, but it's, it's, I think worse than a torn ACL and to just sort of whistle past the graveyard and say, oh, you know, there's no question Le'Veon Bell is fine. You know, he's going to be fine. Maybe this suspension helps him get right. You know, maybe yep. these four games is exactly what we need. But, you know, I, I think there's a non-zero chance that that knee just isn't the same this year, no matter what they say, no matter what they do. And and that has to be factored in. Um, and then given the idea that, listen, do does it again? He's gone for the year. Like, are we positive he's going to make it through September without smoking a little weed? Like, I'm not 100% sure. Just don't give him a periscope feed like Alden Smith, please. <laughs> well, the, he's going to have to pee into a cup a lot. Or, or in this, you know, this case, he didn't, he didn't show up to pee in a cup, and they consider that a positive test. Yeah. Uh, so, like, my assumption is the reason he didn't show up is because he, didn't, he knew he wasn't going to pass. Yep. Um, so, like, if, another thing you have to factor into his draft uh, stock is there is a non-zero chance that he will be gone and suspended for the year, a la Martavis Bryant. So I, I get it if people say there's great value in taking him number 12 or whatever, and I love the player. The best-case scenario for him is absolutely he's the best player in fantasy all year after after week four. Um, I just, you know, I, I couldn't rank him that highly for as much as I like the player. I, I recognize I, on, on that answer I totally filibustered. I'm nah, sorry. That's fine. A lot of variables about about Le'Veon Bell, so it is tough to, to really yeah. fathom that in and, and take you know take him so high. Uh, you mentioned, uh, we mentioned Le'Veon Bell with the four games. Another guy that is that is missing four games is Josh Gordon. Um, I'm a big Josh Gordon fan on the field. Um, Woot's shaking his head because I've always had this hope of Josh Gordon coming back and Woot's always said, nope, he'll get suspended again and Woot's been, always been right. Um, but there's a chance now that we've got to wait to see if he gets through these four games and training camp without you know getting in trouble. He's going to have to pee in a cup a, a bit as well. But how do you approach Josh Gordon and and how did how does that affect your rankings of someone say like Corey Coleman or Duke Johnson who were going to see plenty of targets in that offense? 
And they still will. There are a lot of our targets to go around. I, I always think that argument is a little overstated. Um, there, you know, in today's NFL, there just there are there are five six hundred targets to go around. Yep. You know, so if you think about it in that way, everyone's going to get as many as they can handle. Probably anybody who's like a primary player in an offense is going to get all they can handle. Um, it's a good question. How do you handle Josh Gordon? So I'm led to understand that. So before he was announced as reinstated with a four game suspension he was my number 40 receiver and i'm led to believe that was insanely high compared to most folks most folks had thought you know i, I really from reading the tea leaves i did that rank based on the idea that the, he was going to get another chance and i had to factor in the idea that he wouldn't but you know if you'd been doing a draft before we got this news i was still saying take him in the eighth round take him in the ninth round i think he'll get reinstated i think he's worth carrying on your bench for the upside that he would give you if he gets reinstated. So I four games is kind of good news for him as opposed to Le'Veon Bell and Tom Brady. It's really bad news. Um, and so <laughs> I, I, I bumped him up to 32. And, uh, you know, that puts him, you know, maybe early seventh, maybe late sixth, early seventh. Or I can't remember exactly, but something like that. You know, I think he deserves to be in the drafted in the top half of drafts, uh, but not as a fantasy starter um, because he's a, He's a force on the field. You know, it's I was talking about Keenan Allen before and how what a technician he is and how he just sort of came into the league with footwork, came into the league knowing how many steps to run on a 15 yard out or whatever. Josh Gordon had in his great year where he was the number one receiver in fantasy 2013 had none of that sheer brute force. Terrell Owens just, th you know, throw it downfield or scare the hell out of him, throw it downfield, run across. And yep. that's it. He essentially ran goes and crosses. And that was it. And he was the number one receiver in fantasy because he's a really great athlete. And there was some luck. You know, there's clearly a lot of big oh, plays. Of that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But still like a freak athlete. And so that has to be factored in. I wind up with saying I think he's draftable in the top half of your draft. Not too much higher than that. I, uh, You know, if someone wants to take the shot on him in the fifth round and stash him, I think you go ahead. Let them do that. Um, because just like with Bell – Gosh, there's a chance that, like you said, he pees in a cup and that's it. It's over. That's it. Yeah. And you've ranked him in a really difficult like point of the draft. The players all around him are players that, you know, I quite like as well. So it's difficult to who I'd pick. Yeah. 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 It's yeah, it's like do you do you want someone useful right away, like John, John Brown, Brown yeah. Jordan Matthews, you know, or do you want someone who can't help you in September but who could like start for you every single week after that? So. Yeah. And you just mentioned Steve Smith and he's just, you know, Right, uh, you know, only two spots away from Josh Gordon. So, I mean, he's just—it's yeah. th that point in the draft. It's going to be really interesting. It is tough, but uh, Josh McCown's going to love throwing to uh, Josh Gordon. <laughs> that was an RG three shot. I got it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I've been doing them on. I've been copping it. Redskins fans are still—they still love him. I don't know. They just—they were coming at me hard the other day. But anyway, uh, Chris, we've got a f couple of speed round questions that we ask a lot of our guests before we let you go, and we thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll just ask those, and then at the end of it, at the end of all that, we'll uh, give you another plug for the Almanac because um, I think it's going to be a useful tool. And I hope none, no one in our league is listening to this, but any other <laughs> leagues um, will purchase that. Uh, who's a late round quarterback that uh, Christopher Harris finds himself constantly drafting? Uh, let's see. You know, who do I have? You know, I guess. Matt Ryan is fine with me. Um, Philip Rivers is fine with me. Though you know those are late round guys because I'm I don't know if that's late round. I'm only taking one quarterback. Yep. 
right? So the the quarterback I'm getting in the in the whenever once everyone's taken a quarterback, and maybe someone have taken some some teams have taken two because that's what they like to do. So I'll say I wind up with the Rivers of you know I would take Derek Carr. It feels like Derek Carr is going a little higher um, than than I typically want to take a quarterback. Uh, yep. I'm fine with any of those guys. So you won't be taking say you know. A quarterback and Tom Brady. Uh, well, I won't. I probably won't t- take Tom Brady because he's usually going higher than I want to. I want to take him. You know, I, I. You know, I don't. I don't want to take a. You know, I guess if I see, I haven't been in a lot of drafts. Okay, where Tom Brady was there, so I have him overall ranked. I can't even remember like fifty-two. Okay, so top of the fifth. I haven't been in too many drafts where he's been available there. Uh, if he is. I would take him, and then I would take another quarterback. Yeah, I would take, and I'd be fine whoever I get. I don't care. You know, I don't want. I'd rather not get Ryan Tannehill. He burned me pretty hard last year, but <laughs> I'll I'll take Winston. I'll take Dalton. I'll take Osweiler. I'm fine. You know, I'm okay with any of those guys as long. You know, but I but I haven't been in that place yet because for me, I've just seen Brady going third round. You know, people being like, I'll take the four games. Yeah, He's crazy. awesome. You know, <laughs> yeah. Who are some players that you won't own in 2016? Apart from Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, apparently I won't. And, and, and I'm a Patriot fan. He's probably my favorite player ever if I wear my footy pajamas for the Patriots. Um, who am I not going to own? You know, it seems like I'm not going to own Zeke Elliott considering some people want to take him as the first running back in the draft. And I have him rated like, I can't remember, you know, like. I think it was seven around there. Right. And But then it's even worse when you look at my overall ranks. It's 20th. Right. So. Yeah. No oh, way yeah. in the world Nervous. I'm getting Zeke yeah. Elliott. Yeah. Um, Rob Gronkowski I'm not going to own because I have him 15 overall and he's going to go 7 or whatever. I love him. He's one of my favorite players, right? But I'm not, I don't take tight ends in the first round. Um, I'm not going to own Devontae Freeman, uh, you know, except maybe outside of PPR. Uh, yeah, yep. hopefully that that's enough. Yep, no, that's good. Uh, what's an offense that you, you don't want to have a player on? Or is there an offense that you want to completely avoid? You know Cleveland, it's, they're, they're going to be so bad. Uh, but you know, I'll, I, I would never say I won't take a player. You know, I, yep. I, I'm just guessing that on my board, I probably just factored in the Cleveland factor so high that they're probably so much lower. You yep. know, I mean, I guess I could wind up with Gordon if, if everybody. It seems to me that players. I don't know. You guys tell me. It seems to me that players who, like that who are in the news, who people get excited about their upsides, even though they know their downsides are scary. Someone in at least one person in every league gets super excited and takes them really much higher than you want to take them. Yeah. Right? Um, in, in 2013, I took Josh Gordon at an unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. I like in 2013, I, I won our league and I just took so many risks. I took uh, Adrian Peterson when he was coming off the ACL. I took Josh Gordon. I took Marshawn Lynch and, um, for a while there, I started on four, and then just after that, I just dominated. So I'm that guy in 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 regards to Josh Gordon, but um, I think I'm a little bit smarter fantasy wise than I was in 2013. So I, I can just see someone at like you know in the third or fourth round just going nuts for for Josh Gordon way too early. In regards to um, we were just talking about the Browns, we've spoken to a lot of people, and they they I think they're much higher on Isaiah Crowell than you are. Can you just quickly tell us like why? Johnson is so much higher than Crowell. Do you think he's not going to have much of a much of a workload at all? Oh no, I think he'll get a workload. I just don't think it'll be very successful. Um, you know, my my feeling about the Browns is that they're kind of pulling a Philadelphia 76ers. They want the number 1 pick next year. You know, it and it you know, to some extent I think it makes sense. You have to have a franchise quarterback. They had the first pick and they or second pick and they uh 
looked over the world and said, you know, no, wait, they had the first pick, right? Because they traded with. Yeah. I don't remember. No, uh, no, no. They had the, was the second pick. The second, second pick. pick, pick, pick. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So sorry. So the so they had the second pick, and they they maybe they liked Goff, but maybe they decided after Goff they didn't like anybody else, and they look at someone like Deshaun Watson from from Clemson for next year, and they might think they might think their franchise quarterback is in next year's draft class, and so for me it feels like a systematic dismantling of what was a terrible team but i think it's worse you know uh you lost the be- you know the best or one of the best centers in the league you lost a guard who played well last year tried like hell it seems like to get rid of joe thomas i think that offensive line could be putrid especially on the on the right side yeah and no uh, either right and so like for me how are you going to run you know there's not a lot of quarterback threat there uh I think you have to go around them and not try to go through them. Of course, Crowell would be the one you'd suspect would make short touchdowns if they luck into some torch touch, uh, short touchdown situations, in which case, you know, if he has eight touchdowns, I'm way too low on him. But, boy, I don't think so. You know, I think he's going he's gonna to struggle. And the most important thing, I'm describing situation, but the most important thing is he's not a transcendent talent and therefore not going to be able to overcome if the situation is bad. I I can't see them having that many goal line no. situ- situations, and um, you mentioned that was an offense you want to avoid, and I think that's a, a wise move. Uh, last question for you, Chris, before we let you go. In in the later rounds, who are you taking some flyers on? It's so tough to say, kind of uh, like open endedly, because I I'll tell you why it's tough to say because I'm not. A person who really look. I'm gonna say I'm gonna pick someone. I'm, I'm gonna vamp for a second though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I don't really look at anybody else's ranks. I don't really look at the market very frequently about where people are going. So people are always surprising me by saying, "My God, you're so high on Larry Fitzgerald," and I'm like, "I am," <laughs> uh, or "You're so low on this guy," and I say, "I am." Yeah. I, you know, it feels like I'm where I am on them, and you know, compared to the market, I guess I am. So, you know, my ranks definitely would reflect. Uh, you know, who I would take when, when I would take them or the neighborhood at least. Um, and of course, my ranks could be completely out of tune with the market and I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know that. Okay, all, all of that said, players who I think who have fun upside, who I might take, who, let's say who I've rated outside my top 160. All right, just for the sake of argument, if, we, if we're going to pick a number. Sweet, sweet sure. I, mean, I like it. Right, well, you're talking about super late. Yeah, of course. Yeah, people who just, just are kind of intriguing. And, you know, I can imagine Jeff Janis being on some of my teams on the with the idea, like, I don't know who that third guy is. The one who's probably the best athlete is Jeff Janis. You know, he's the, he's the leaper. He's the runner. I dare say he's a better athlete than Jordy Nelson at this point in Nelson's career. And he's had two years to get the Division II stuff off of him. Can you imagine what he must have been like in Division II? Can you imagine him in Scary. college? Like he's playing against dry cleaners and accountants, you know. He, right? You know, he didn't have to do. All he had to do was run and jump, and that's it. And so, of course, he, you know, like so. I think there's a chance he could be interesting in that offense, right? Um, I, I can imagine taking a chance on Michael Thomas. Let's just see if he's polished enough. Come, you know, coming out of college to be the Marcus Colston in that offense. That would be. Certainly interesting. If he was, I, my guess is he's not. That's why I have him rated there. But I say, I say, give him a chance. Um, let's see other players who at least f- sort of fascinate me a little bit. I, you know, Sammy Coates. I'm picking young players who, you know, this is the this is the bright shiny object thing. Yep. 
you know, like I don't know their terrible flaws yet, so I'm like, oh, I could take a chance. But that's not a bad way to draft of you know a deep bench kind of thing. No, and especially when you look at that Pittsburgh offense, someone has to step up into into that role that that's been void or those that target and workload that's been void by Martavis Bryant and Semi Coates. You know, in the playoffs last year, showed a little something, and the the, the talent's always been there. The concern was just, I think, from coming out was was hands. I I, I can't correct me if I'm wrong. Am I? Is that well, kind of everything. I mean, yeah. basically, an athlete, not even a great runner, but an amazing athlete, amazing strength, amazing size, uh, amazing size. I'm overstating that case, but <laughs> yeah. what a leaper. You know, like just a, just a acceleration, you know, in theory, if he learned how to run routes, he would be crazy coming out of a break because his legs are so strong and he could, you know, be fast. coming. But the problem is coming out of Auburn just didn't didn't hadn't done any of that. Mm-hmm. And so and really still hasn't. So it's got, you know, the question is always with him is going to be until the moment we see him do it is will he ever be able to be a polished receiver, you know, have the footwork necessary, et cetera. Um, he's not quite big enough to be a Josh Gordon where he just gets by in athleticism. So taking a chance on him is fine because, I mean, what do you guys think of Marcus Wheaton? Like, I'm kind of tired of waiting for that train to get here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Plus, when I, when I hear his surname, I always think of the song Teenage Dirtbag for some reason. <laughs> yeah, because of Wheatus. I, I love that song, and I can play it on the guitar. I'm very excited oh, now. Now, as soon as we get done, I'm going to go play it on the guitar. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, any last questions for Chris before we let him go? No. No? All good. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. And before you, before we let you go, uh, again, just uh, give your website a plug and, and that Players Almanac because I think it's a valuable resource and our listeners would benefit a lot from it. So the the website is harrisfootball.com. Uh, I have a podcast myself that um, does pretty well, it turns out. Like yes. when I talked to you guys last year, I, I was just sort of doing it on a lark. You know, I didn't think I was going to be doing fantasy football anymore. I figured I left ESPN of my own volition. I, you know, it had enough, a big company, long time. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, after the season, I'll figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And then I'll just do this podcast in the meantime. And it went bananas. So uh, starting cool. August... Yeah, start. Thank you. Starting August first will be five days a week. Um, for for July, it's been two days a week, and you can catch up on those archives. But the five days a week, it's coming. August first. I'm realizing these are my last days of freedom. Uh, <laughs> I like doing that show. It's fun. And then, yeah, the almanac is on the website, HarrisFootball.com. Like I said, it's over a hundred pages. It's uh, I went bananas. <laughs> bananas is my word of the morning. Apparently, bananas. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right, so you can also follow Chris on Twitter at Harris Football, and we thank you very much for joining the show, and uh, we wish you well for the upcoming season, and I think uh, Harris Football will only get bigger and better um, as the season progresses. Thank you very much for having me. It was really fun. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for coming on again, Chris. Big thanks to Chris Harris for joining the show. As we said, you can check him out at Harris Football. Buy his player. Uh, Go get the Almanac. Yeah, the Almanac, the fantasy 2016 Fantasy Almanac. Um, I love the word almanac. It's you seen Project Almanac, the movie? I think I have. It was okay. I think I have. I think Chris Harris's almanac would be better than that one. And uh, yeah, please check that out. And a huge thanks to him for joining the show. And uh, any last words before we wrap this up? No, but everyone just go get that almanac. Just go and get the almanac. And you can check us out on Twitter at I'm at JYNFL. I'm at Woot, etc. We're also at Woot and Y. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and then you can listen to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, and Radio Hub. Soon to be Spotify. We'll get around to that. And Google Play, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>